In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Three in One, who owns everything that we have and gives it to us as a gift. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, there's a story about two guys. One of them was kind of a general contractor, builder type, and the other one was sort of his hireling. He was, he was a carpenter who worked for him, and they went throughout their life building houses throughout a certain town. And they, they were getting on in age, especially the carpenter. He was a little bit older. And one day the carpenter came to the owner and he said, uh, I'm ready to retire. I'm getting ready to just, you know, hang up my hammer and my saw. And I am ready to um, uh, just lay it all down. Um, it's been nice working with you, but this is my last house. And the general contractor guy said, well, you know, can I twist your arm? Can I twist your arm to do one more house f- with me? And, uh, and that'll be the last house, and then after that you can go and retire. But I really need, I, I really need your expertise on this. I really need um, your, your work ethic on this. I, I need you to be the one who does just this one last house, and after that I can find another carpenter that I can work with. And the carpenter kind of hems and haws, and he's like, I was really looking at this one as being my last one. And, but sure enough, okay, you know, we, we've worked together for a while. I guess I'll do this one last house with you. And so what he does is he, you know, starts to work on that next house. But, he, you know, he's working on it and he's cutting corners. And he, he's not doing the job that he did with the other houses because he's like, hey, this is my last house. Um, it, it really doesn't matter. And, and, and so I'm, I'm just going to you know, get through this and I'm going to, uh, you know, maybe not be as particular about the lumber that I'm using. I'm, I'm just going to get through it. And sure enough, uh, they, they get the house done and it's almost all ready and they're walking through the final inspection of the house. And they're looking at everything, and everything looks good. And so sure enough, the carpenter you know, turns to the builder guy, to the general contractor guy, and he you know, reaches out his hand, and he says, well, you know, it's been really great working with you. This is the, the last house. Um, you know, uh, it, it's been good, but yeah, I'm, I'm out of here. I am uh, going to be retired. I'm going to be on easy street. This is going to be it for me. And the builder goes, well, w- wait, wait a second. I got one more thing for you. And you can tell the carpenter's kind of frustrated because now this is the second one more thing for you. And the, the carpenter is like, okay, wait, what is this one more thing? And the builder reaches into his pocket and he pulls out a key. And he says, this house is yours. I, I know that you've been working with me all of these years and we've been building all of these houses and you've been renting the whole time. And since you were going into retirement, I thought it would be a good idea for you to actually own your own house. So here it is. It's all yours. It's all paid for. And the carpenter, we don't know what he really thought about that. We don't know if the builder knew that he was cutting corners or not, but we, we know that the carpenter, because the carpenter was working on it, well, the carpenter knew that he had just inherited his own shoddy labor and poor selection of materials as his own house now. 
And he did that largely because he didn't feel ownership there. He didn't feel ownership of the house, but he didn't feel ownership of the houses before that. The difference in this one was that he didn't even feel ownership of his job anymore. Because all of the houses before that, he had kind of this sense of ownership, like, hey, I'm going to do a good job. This is going to affect my reputation as a carpenter. This last house, he was like, "Ah, it doesn't even matter. I'm not going to do another house after this, so I'm just going to cut corners. I'm just going to do whatever. And so he didn't have that sort of sense of of ownership. Well, in a lot of ways, even though all of these texts are about calling today, they're also about ownership. So as we look into what's going on with Isaiah, as we look at what's going on with Simon Peter, what we're talking about, in some ways, you can consider it to be ownership. Because at some level, I think we all kind of get this sense of, yeah, 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 I know that I've been called. But the question really comes down to, are you owning your call? Are you owning that thing that God has called you? Are you owning your baptism that God has called you his own beloved child? Are you owning your job? Are you owning your vocation that God has given you, the talents that he's given you, that God has given you the resources that he's given you, that God has given you the relationships that he's given you? Or are you just saying, yeah, 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 whatever? And so that question of ownership becomes a really important thing in our lives. It becomes important not only for our spiritual lives, but also for our vocational lives. Our vocational lives are so much better when we take ownership of what we do. In fact, when I was in a different, uh, d- different vocation as, as kind of a manager um, uh, for a catering company, I could tell you which people were going to be the good people on my staff almost within 15 minutes of them walking through the door. Because the good people, they would take ownership of what they were doing. And I knew who I was going to have to be riding all night long because they were the people that had no ownership. They were the people that came in and they were saying, this job is here to serve me, not me here to own this job. And so we then take that and we put that into the frame of what's going on here with Isaiah. So Isaiah is having a crazy day at work. We know that Isaiah is a priest. We know that Isaiah is used to all of this kind of God stuff. But this is something that Isaiah probably was not expecting. In the year that King Uzziah died, he walks into church. He walks into the temple, and he's probably just expecting to, you know, go over his sermon, do some readings, do some prayers, and then that's the end of the day. But instead, he gets confronted by the glory of God filling up the temple. He gets confronted by this thing called a seraphim. The, the seraph part of seraphim means fiery. So this is a fiery angel with like six wings that are covering different parts of its body. And Isaiah is there and he's looking at this angel and he's looking at what's happening. And this is not a normal day at work. And this angel, as he's flying around, is scaring Isaiah so much that he's saying, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips, living with people who have unclean lips. 
I'm living just like this doesn't matter. When you really kind of translate that out. What Isaiah is saying is that he's living as if this is just a verbal thing. He's living as if he's just giving lip service to the fact that he's a priest. He knows that his entire nation is just giving lip service to the fact that they are Israel, the chosen people of God. And he says, woe is me. I realize I haven't been taking ownership of this. My people haven't been taking ownership of this. We've just been giving this lip service. And so that fiery angel... And this is the weirdest part, I think, about the reading, for me, anyway. The fiery angel swoops down, and he grabs some tongs from the altar, and he picks up a coal from the, the altar with the tongs. And then he remembers that he's a fiery angel, I guess, because after that, he puts it in his hand. Because he's like, Wait, why am I bothering with tongs? I'm a fiery angel. Let me just grab this thing. And so he grabs it and he flies at Isaiah, which is, that's a moment. That's a moment that I don't know if you've ever had a moment like that, but a moment where the angel of the Lord is flying at your face with a burning hot coal. And he touches his lips. And he says... You're clean. See, your sin is atoned for. And that's a moment. That's a moment for Isaiah. And it's a moment that challenges his ownership of what that angel has just said. Just like you had a moment earlier where it challenged you with something that I said. Something very similar. Something that said, your sins are forgiven. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know I'm not a fiery angel. I don't have a coal in my hand. But it's the same message. The same message. Your sin is atoned for. You are forgiven. You are free of that sin. It is gone. The question is for Isaiah and for you, do you own that? Do you own that forgiveness? Do you say that is my forgiveness? That did happen. Maybe it would be easier for you if it was a fiery angel with a coal. But do you own your forgiveness? Because that is what changes things for Isaiah. Because after that, he hears God's booming voice, who will go for me? And Isaiah, instead of just giving lip service, steps in to the craziness of his calling. And he says, here am I. Send me. Because now, all of a sudden, he owns what it means for him to be a priest in a way that he hasn't owned it before. So what does that look like in your life? 
What is God calling you to take ownership of? Sure, he's calling you to take ownership of that forgiveness, but there's probably some other stuff that he's calling you to take ownership of. Is he calling you to take ownership of those relationships in your life? Maybe those relationships that you've let get stale. Maybe those relationships that you haven't been a good steward of. Is he calling you to the vocations in your life? Have you just kind of been like the carpenter in the story that we started off with? Have you just kind of been doing the very minimum and cutting corners? And why have you been doing that? Well, if you've been doing that, it's because you haven't been owning that. You haven't been saying, this is my job. You've been saying, this is something that I'm doing for somebody else. And what God wants for you is that that message of forgiveness would clean you up so much that you're able to look at everything in your life, including your vocation, including being a student, including being a mother or a father or a daughter or a son or whatever it is that you are, and say, that's, that's mine. I, I own that. So that you can own your vocation, so that you can own your vocation even as a Christian. That you can own this sense that, okay, I am a Christian, and I'm also probably all of these other things, and how do I fit those all together? Well, how you fit those all together is that they are all things that are owned by you. So if you're a student and a Christian and a daughter in this place, All of those things have in common that those are all owned by you. And maybe you haven't paid for them. You probably haven't. But God has given those things to you as a gift, as your vocation to claim to say, I own this. I own my Christianity. I own my baptized life. I own my job. I own my relationships And I own all of those things, not because I paid for them, but because they were paid for for me. Because that's where we get tripped up, isn't it? That's where Peter gets tripped up here. When Simon Peter, when he sees all of that amazing, overwhelming success in his life, and he's challenged with this question of what do I own here? Jesus says, hey, put out into the deep and you'll get some fish. And Simon starts off by being snarky with him and going, well, yeah, I guess, you know, Jewish rabbi, carpenter guy, landlubber, I guess I'll go out there and put my nets down. And he picks it all up and he goes, holy mackerel, I don't even own my vocation. Because if I owned my vocation, I would be doing this every day of the week and be getting bigger boats like that guy in Jaws. Because these are sinking. When we realize that we don't own anything on our own accord, but rather that everything that we own has been paid for, life starts to look miraculous. Life starts to be miraculous. And God starts using our lives in a way that we never thought that we would use them. And so he comes to Simon Peter and he says, don't be afraid. 
It's always good when Jesus says, don't be afraid, because I think we always assume that when Jesus says, don't be afraid, we're, he, he's just being like, you know, uh, just kind of like, hey, I'm Jesus, I'm really chill, um, uh, so don't be afraid around me because I'm a really nice guy. No. Jesus, when he says, don't be afraid, it is preceding something that should scare you. And he says, don't be afraid, but you're going to catch people. And Simon goes, with nets? That's not in the Gospels, but you can kind of get that he's like, huh? But what Jesus is doing for Simon Peter there is he's changing his life. He's changing his vocation. He's saying, I'm going to give you this new vocation as a gift. Just like you have that gift of forgiveness, just like you have the gift of your vocation, whatever that may be, God has given that to you as a gift so that you can go out into this world, so that you can serve all people, so that you can play your part in this church, in this crazy gathering of people that we have together with us here at University Lutheran, that you're a part of this really strange team that God has put together. I mean, God has put together pharmacists and artists and lots of meteorologists and lawyers (laughs) and students and people that are not students and people that are retired and people that have no idea how they're going to pay for college because they're this big. And All of these people, but God has said, you're all on this team called University Lutheran. That's your vocation. It's a gift. And we get to figure out how we live as that gift in this place. To his glory. And it's overwhelming. It should bring us to our knees. Just like Simon Peter, we should be on the ground going, I, I don't know how to do this. And to that, God says, I'm giving that to you as a gift as well. Just follow and see where it goes. So brothers and sisters in Christ, may you this week Follow where he's going. May you know that as you follow where he's going, we're following where he's going along with you. That we are this weird team called University Lutheran within the kingdom of God. And that he has put us together here for a strange, bizarre reason that sometimes we don't even know what's going on. But we're all in this together because he has flown at us with our baptisms and has forgiven us and now challenges us to take ownership of that forgiveness. Amen.